0: Playbook, playbook. It's a private playbook, playbook. All right, welcome. So I wanted to just get a message out to you guys. It is that time of year, right? So I want to talk about cash flow. And so uh, I felt like this message might be great for everyone to hear. So as we sit here, I'm recording this in early December. So This is a a critical time of the year, and what I wanted to do is I just wanted to give you a reminder about something that um, I have noticed people be very unintentional about, and that is that as you approach the end of the year, it is tax time, and you have to be strategic in how you approach tax. And so I wanna dive into it a little bit, but I, I want you to start to have fun with this. And a lot of people think that You know, they solely rely on their accountant for this. And yeah, I mean, my accountant plays a role in this, but really I'm my own financial quarterback and I have to go between, you know, the different players on my team. So when we think about this, let's just go through some some basics that are approaching us. And so the first thing about what's interesting about this time of year and tax, so for instance, if I open up my um, uh, analysis, I have a, uh, we take a look and we look at, okay, what did I, you know, what what was the, what was my um, income from certain assets? What was my W-2 wages? What was my profit from the scheduling Institute, right? I have all these different things. that and so what i see here is i see first of all i see my streams of income and so you really want to kind of think about that and you go so on this list when i ask my accounting team to sit down and to figure out what i made in each of these entities or whatever that you might call them if you really think about this what's so great about this is that this is kind of uh, helpful so when i read this i look at a few things and i say okay well and I'm not gonna share with you all my numbers, but I, I, there are some things I kind of looked at this and I thought, well, you know what? I didn't know I made that much money there. And then there's a couple of them I kind of go, well, that was terrible. So there's a couple I go, well, I didn't do particularly well there, but this is a great time of year to kind of look at what the harvest was, right? Look at what did you put, you know, I mean, if you put a lot of effort into something, you wanna know whether it was profitable or not. And there are times and there are seasons in every business and there are seasons when I don't, I may choose to take a year not to make a lot of profit, but I'm doing that, I'm investing to make the profit later. And I have to kind of be in check with that. And one of the first things that I notice about people who don't do this is that they'll say, well, all my income didn't go up, but they'll forget that they may have reduced a lot of debt that year. They may have invested a lot in the growth of, you know, so if you have a business that can make twice as much money as it could have in the beginning of the year and you didn't make a lot of money this year. That was what you did by design and all that's good. Now, a lot of times people don't understand, you know, when you have a certain person look at your situation, they don't understand that's what you're doing. And that's why you as the quarterback needs to understand that. You know, some of you may have been, you know, if you've got a business that just, you don't invest in, and the profit just keeps going down and down and down in, you know what, you need to invest in it. In other words, you actually need to go more in the hole to get capacity to generate more money. But so the first thing that I mean that should happen around this time, and you don't wait until April to figure out what you made, you do it now. So as I look at this, I can kind of reflect and go, okay, well, you know, that's a stream of income I've spent a lot of time, a lot of energy investing in, and I think that's great. Um, there's other ones like I said that I don't like as much. Um, um, anyways, so that's really helpful, right? I, mean, I can kind of get a little sidetracked by this, but you, you get the point, right? So I'm taking inventory, and then what I have here is I have an estimate of what I owe the IRS, and then my job is to say, okay, let's come up with some strategies. So, and my accountant's job is to sort of say, based on the information you've given me, here's what we think you're gonna have to pay in taxes. So, harvest time, right? Do all this work, what happened? and then you start strategizing for next year. So it's interesting that tax sometimes, it's funny, it's like a forced accountability which then tells you, okay, I'm gonna make adjustments. So if I look at this sheet, what it can help me do is to say, you know what, I'm gonna shift some energy here. I'm gonna put more into this next year, more into that. You know, I'm gonna say thank you to these people, whatever the situation might be. So it's the first thing you wanna take. now. What we look, you know, when you kind of look out into the future, I mean, it's interesting is that the people who are making money are the people who are innovating in terms of patient experience. The people who are making money are the people who are wowing their patient, the people who are adding new services, the people who are being more convenient. The people who are catering to the discretionary part of the spend not the necessary part of the spend and so it's important that you understand that strategy wise you know if you have a business that's really sort of a a dead duck it's kind of a business that is like any little dental clinic or little office around the country you're going to have to innovate right because the person down the street who has an, an office that's creative is, has a bright future. And so it's important. I think the future is bright, right? Things are good. People have discretionary money. Financing is available. And there is no reason for any of you not to invest in growing your business. And I mean, I think that's very important. As a matter of fact, and if you, if you don't invest in it and you just want to exit it, someone else is going to buy it and invest in it and make a lot of money. So it's the outlook is that the valuations for medical dental practices are looking good. And so what you wanna do is you wanna be investing in that value as far as your own personal nest egg is concerned and that's pretty positive. A basic reminder that as a doctor, you have three primary vehicles to develop assets. And so when we teach this, we say, okay, uh, cash and investments, which is money, retirement and whatnot. Then you have the uh, equity in real estate and then you have the valuation of your practice and then you have the income that comes off of that practice. So it's very important to understand that the reason a practice is worth more money is because it spits off more money or has more revenue or more upside. So we want to accumulate cash, pay down real estate and invest in growing the business. I mean, it's such, I love the models right? It's so simple. It's like, what an easy life. But what's interesting about tax time is that that's the only thing that's reflected at tax time is what you made in the business. It doesn't tell you. So what this doesn't tell me is, okay, how much did I put in cash and investments? Don't see that here. How much did I reduce debt in real estate? And how much did my real estate appreciate? So again, I mean, there's another one where you want real estate to raise in value, but I'm just showing the debt figure of reducing. So this does not show how much my real estate went up this year. And uh, it does show what my real estate income is, but it doesn't show what, how much the real estate appreciated. And then as it say, does let's see, I want to make my business be more valuable. So does this have the value of my business on it? No. So what's important about this is so many people misdiagnose tax time as the most important thing in their life when really there are many, many other more important pieces of data that don't get reflected in their tax return, which is why they never bother to figure out what they are. So if you want to know the value of your practice, you have to get it appraised. Most people, the only time they get some appraised is when they sell it uh, instead of having it appraised along the way. Most people aren't even tracking the amount of debt they're paying off in their real estate and understanding that it'll eventually... See, if I have rental income, so here I have JMG, Residential and Commercial Real Estate Company, and there's an income number. And the lower the debt number is, the more that's real income, okay? So, a lot of things do not show up at tax time and it's important that you understand that. But we're measuring net worth, we're not measuring just what your income was, okay? So for all of you, I want you not to overreact to your income, I want you to keep concentrating on your net worth. That's the most important thing to tell you about that. But tax time kind of brings all this up, right? And so it's really funny, you know, I was thinking about this, if you're an accountant, do you know, a lot of times you don't even know the net worth of your client. So I can show somebody my tax return, but they don't know my net worth. So my, my accountant does not know my net worth. <laughs> Think about that. So in other words, yeah, he does. My tax return is transactional, but he doesn't know what my net worth is. And so he's got to be kind of careful. You know, So I'm, I'm a little reluctant to take. I don't take money-making advice from my accountant. I take tax reduction advice. <laughs> like. Give me an idea how to reduce taxes. Don't tell me what you think I should do to make money because that's not where you, I, what I pay you for. Okay, so look, um, you know, you got to be looking at where your income range is because your income range dictates the amount of tax you pay. So if we look at an average earner at 192, versus for instance, uh, uh, one of our top level member with us or mid-level member, if they're making $800,000. So, you know, when you take $800,000 and let's say you divide that times a a 39% tax bracket. Okay, we're talking about, you know, you got a couple hundred thousand dollars in taxes. So as the amount of your taxes go up, the amount of your taxes go up, your knowledge and expertise about how to offset taxes goes up commensurately. So what I, when I made $100,000 a year, I didn't really understand that much about taxes because it was all taken out. When you begin to make more money, you realize that there are a lot of strategies available to you. You, know, you go back to the election of Obama and um, what was his name? See, yeah, I forgot his name, right? Um, now come to me in a minute. Uh, I know you guys are going to go, Jay, I can't believe you forgot his name, right? But he was the, the rich guy. Now, so now I'm not going to remember this, right? I actually went to his thing. And so he, it was so funny because when, when you looked at their tax returns, Obama paid a higher percentage of tax. And so they run this in the newspaper. And then people actually criticize the person for paying the lower percentage. And if you think about how stupid that is, if I was going to vote for somebody, I'd vote for the guy who followed the rules and paid the lesser percentage. So please don't get like if you're watching the news and you think I'm supposed to pay a high percentage, I mean, that's pretty foolish because you didn't make the rules, right? So we we don't have to cheat. We just need to follow the rules. So what you want to do is to be as good as possible about knowing the rules And then trying to lower your percentage. And so, and just like I think, you know, you probably want someone, um, you know, it's funny, I'm not gonna make a political statement, but, you know, I think the reason why Trump never revealed his tax return, because I'll guarantee he had a low percentage, which is smart, but everybody would have incorrectly said, you're not paying your fair share. No, you're paying what you're supposed to pay by law, right? I mean, so what I just wanna encourage you, Look, we are never trying to evade taxes. We are never trying to cheat. That's very important. Never cheat on your taxes, but be smart and tactical and strategic and get your taxes to the lowest percentage you can within the confines of the law. And the only way to do that is not to cheat. So in other words, if you're cheating on your taxes, here's what I've learned. Those are the people that don't take deductions. In other words, You're not gonna take the most significant deduction you can if you're worried about getting an audit that you're gonna get caught cheating. So, important that this advice is predicated with this. You should not cheat. You should be as, you should literally, and by the way, you should also not be afraid of the IRS. The, an IRS agent who audits your tax return has a set of rules, and if you approach the tax return with the same set of rules, an audit shouldn't make any difference if you approach the, if you approach your tax return with a made up set of rules, you should be afraid of an audit. So what I learned by getting, I got audited one time and I just realized I was like, hey, why do I care? Right, as long as I don't cheat, then I'm gonna take every stinking legal deduction I can and I might want to invite an audit. In other words, I might want to trigger an audit because that would sort of show that I pushed the limit on the deductions and then to realize that the person who comes in, their only authority is to follow the law. And so they don't have a, the IRS agents do not have a special authority to screw you on your audit. They basically have to read a book and interpret, and they're generally lazy, to be honest with you. And if they come in and do an audit, what they want to do is check off that they completed the book. They're not necessarily, I don't think they're paid on performance, honestly. Like I don't think that they get rewarded for getting more money. I think they get rewarded for the number of audits they do. And if you think about it, the audits are triggered by the most common deductions. So kind of their belief is, look, so, so for instance, if you do a conservation easement, you might get an audit, OK? But conservation easements are a great deduction. So somebody says, let's audit everybody with a conservation easement, or, and so they randomly pull a percentage. Well, if you took the conservation easement, but then you cheated on a bunch of other stuff, it, see, you can't blame the conservation easement. You ha, you, you're going to have to pay back what you cheated. So what I want to encourage you about, and look, I I think this is kind of like, you know, have you ever seen those things where they run like amnesty for people with guns or whatever? Like, bring your guns, no questions asked. Um, I want you to think about this. If you are a tax cheat, I, I want to tell you that there's hope for you, okay? And what you want to start doing is you want to start just next year, cheat less, okay? Cheat less. I mean, the next year, cheat less and then get to where you don't cheat and you pay your taxes, but you take advantage of every single legal deduction known to mankind, and you are as strategic as you can be. That's what I invite you to, right? It's kind of like, you know, that, that's, that's the deal. And as you're and by the way, the, the, if your income goes up and you're trying to grow your business, so should your tax knowledge. And you want to make sure that you don't have your grandfather's accountant still. And here's a good question for an accountant. Could you give me, so let's say all of a sudden, you, you know, let's say you have a great year and you're pushing that million dollar figure and you know, you're at $850,000 this year. And so you say, you go to your account and you say, hey, listen, I got a question. And what you want to ask in a way is you want to say, well, I want to know how, okay. If we did 100% of your clients, here's what I want to know. Okay, how many are below my income level and how many are above in a percentage? And if your accountant goes, hmm, well, about 95 below and five above, that means it's probably they got one person who makes more money than you. And so that's where you go, okay, well, if an accountant is trained to give advice to people who make, so if you walk into a strip mall, first of all, (laughs) they're running ads to get the tax preparer. They have the software, and what they're literally doing is taking a person who can't fill out forms and charging them to fill their forms out for them. And typically, they're walking in with a W-2, and then if they have any deductions, okay, and they're entering a form, and then bam, there's your tax return. And that person is probably paying the maximum amount of tax. In other words, there was no strategy around it, okay? And again, if you only ha- make, if all your clients make $100,000, so if you go to an accountant who deals with a typical dentist, for example, they make about one hundred and eighty, maybe maybe less, then they're going to know how to give tax reduction advice at that level, but not at a million dollars. Because there'd be no reason for them to understand that. So there may be things I know that your accountant doesn't know, right? Because they have no clients who are comfortable with that strategy at all. So anyways, just every year, trying to encourage you on this, okay? Now, so W-2 is fairly simple and it's kind of interesting, right? I mean, this is really, uh, so you guys should typically have a W-2 And then hopefully you have some kind of a distribution and you should have an LLC or an S corp ideally. And, uh, if you're still running a C corp, that was your father's practice, like you gotta like, come on into the right. I mean, I don't know if anything's going to change. Like C corp has typically not been that attractive and it limits the way you can make money and you have to pay the government all up front. And so I I have never been able to come up with a valid reason why anyone has a C Corp. That's just me. And if you got an accountant who is just too damn lazy or you're too cheap to do the legal work to switch your corporation, I mean, I, I just don't get it. So I'm not telling you that you have to change your corporation, but if your dad's, cor- if, let's say you had, took over a practice from your father and it was a C-Corp, there was probably a time it made sense to be a C-Corp because they hadn't invented S-Corps yet or LLCs. And so, so, the election, so you just need to push this question of is it, what type of corporation it is and uh, all my corporations, I don't own a C-Corp and I don't see why I would, I've never seen a reason why, I don't know why you would. That's I'm not a, I'm not an accountant so I'm not giving you legal advice but I'm I don't get it and so the only reason I can think of is your accountant was just too lazy to have you do the work or you're too lazy to have it converted so and so your adjusted gross income right is a very important number that you want to and again it's kind of a reflection of your your energy your effort whatever that might be so. You have W-2, or thing, okay. So obviously we're trying to work on the business, not work at it. So we sit in December and if you look at a calendar, uh, you got to pay your taxes by April, guys. Okay? So you got a little bit of time here, but if you think about it, the magic delineating date is this date right here. So literally on the December 31st, if you're on a calendar year accounting system, um, so, I'm not. I'm on a different system, an accrual system, but you're most likely on this. And I was on this for many, many years. And so December is where I do my last little manipulations and I got to get them done before the calendar year. So let's take a look at how that works. So, for instance, let's say that your corporation has $100,000 in the bank and you just pay that $100,000 over to yourself. If you're in a 40% tax bracket, so, and again, we could adjust your bracket based upon whatever, whatever it is. But if you look at this, um, that takes you, so that means you, you take out the 100,000, you put it into your personal account, the ticker ticks over, and you're gonna need to pay the United States government $40,000 on or before April 18. And, I mean, so that's one thing you can do with money. You can take it out, and then you got to pay the taxes. Now, for me, December's about not doing any more of that cuz I've already done enough. Like, I don't want to wait till here. So I go, how do I not So if you think about this, is there I always th- I used to think, how do I take whatever money is here, repurpose it not to have to pay the government any more money than I already am obligated to owe them? And that's thinking about tax strategy, okay? So now, so Okay. Um now if you had 100,000 in the bank and let's say you said, well, I'm going to take 40 of it and I'm going to pay for all my trainings for next year or whatever, what would happen is then that 40, you would pay that to somebody, you could pay like if you pay to us, let's say, or somebody, and then you reduce, you, there's no income and it's a zero deal. So you'd owe the government nothing on that money. You would just pay it on the 60, Okay. And so I always buy things that I was going to buy already, but I want to repurpose the money. I want to reduce my tax liability, buy stuff. So every year this time I buy things that I, they're not necessarily things I have to have, but they're things that I think I would rather purpose my money here than in my pocket and have to pay the government that much money. So I, sometimes I buy furniture, sometimes I buy equipment. This year I bought some uh, vans, because we needed a bunch of vans. Uh, it sort of varies on wh- whatever is going on from a cash flow perspective. But So if you know, you know, for, I mean, but again, what? and I like the investment idea. So I want to buy something that I can then put into place and multiply the money. So training, coaching, all those kinds of things I usually buy at the end of the year uh, with that money, but because it's reducing my taxes, right? You might prepay some bills, right? You can divert some of that money. Okay. Um, maybe you take less of it, therefore lowering your total tax liability. Okay, so again, you got to look at not paying yourself as much, paying other things and reducing what that tax liability looks. Like. I mean, and you got to, this is, takes a lot of work and, and every, you know, the dollars you leave in there, you're obviously going to get taxed in, right? So again, if I had 100 in the checkbook, let's say I pay 40 for some services that I want or I'm already going to pay anyways or maybe you're reducing a five X membership or whatever it is. Um, Let's say you pay some of your leases in advance. Okay. And then you're cutting down what you're going to actually pay taxes on, which is super, super cool. So let's go through some of the things that you could do technically. So one, you could, um, well, look uh, taking money and, and, and putting it in a place, is fine. So making an investment style thing, if it was commercial real estate, whatever man, that's fine. That's a good that's a good decision. Prepaying rents, practice loans. So if I have a lot of money sitting in the bank account and I can prepay an expense that's not taxed, like let's say I had, I don't have corporate debt, but if I had a, let's say I had bought the business from somebody and I had a loan, If I can reduce that loan and not pay tax on that money, that would be an advantageous thing for me to do right now. right? Okay, um, upgrading space is a great investment. So I've got a construction project going on right now. Instead of taking the money out, I'm actually just using the money for basically what is a tenant improvement. So instead of taking the money out of the corporation, I'm investing $100,000 in upgrading the space uh, which will then translate into something over a period of time. So updating your office and committing that money to that would be a great expense right now. Uh, if you're our member prepaying renewals, things of this nature, anything that keeps you, you know, it's kind of like anything that forces you to continue to commit to growing is, is, is a good investment. And what's just so you understand our relationship. So if you were, let's say you're a five X member and you have a, you have a $50,000 left on your membership and you have 50 down, you can pay me us the 50 and I don't have to pay tax on it because I'm in a di- I am in use a different code. So I, I have a different system. So I pay when the the money's recognized. So we can actually accept money from you that I don't have to pay tax on. It used to not be that way. So I used to not say that because I didn't want the money. But today, if you know, you're a committed client, you know you're gonna do your membership, you can pay us now and you can then reduce what you're going to pay us next year. Take that as income, and it doesn't affect my tax situation, right? So that's kind of good, and, it, and for our business, it, you know, it makes sense. Um, so, but it's the movement, right? It's like reducing the taxes at this point, right? Investing in your team, obviously, these are investing in yourself. Um, so, just an important concept of saying, can the government? Can I somehow make an investment in my team? So we just had a Christmas party, holiday party. And if you think about that, I think the thing cost somewhere around $100,000. And if I could take the money or I could do the Christmas party and just have a great effect with everybody or holiday party. And like, think about that. So that's kind of a conscious decision not to take the income, but to create an experience for people um, that... I'm not being taxed at the same situation, Okay, All right, so uh, a few things. So you want to have, so so here's kind of a thought about, so what I want you to think about is you go, Jay, well, that all sounds good. How do you get all this stuff? So in other words, in the sense of your team. And so I want to make a couple of comments about your financial team. And again, number one, I want you to think about it like this, is that you're in the middle. And so the way I see it is I sit right there. And the key thing is that what I have to be responsible for is to expand my knowledge. So what I have to do is I have to keep seeking and seeking. So when I invite you to an event, what you're doing is you're saying, man, I want to be exposed to an entire new way of looking at things, which over time is a huge multiple to me, right? So I'm constantly sort of, expanding my knowledge base, right? So, when all of a sudden, you know, all of a sudden I realized, like, my old accountant didn't know anything, I had to go find another accountant. I had to say, who, you know, who does this? So, just a just an important process. And, and then, what I start doing is you start putting together your team. So, what you wanna have is on, in your office or outsourced, if you really think about it, you have a bookkeeping team, right? And so, you have a bookkeeping team. And that team's job is to process transactions for you, pay bills, things of that nature, but they don't really necessarily, and to put things in your QuickBooks maybe, like you guys should, like I would I would never be sitting there doing QuickBooks myself. I would have my bookkeeper, and by the way, sometimes this can be part-time, it can be outsourced, great function to have, but they keep up with all the transactions because that's not your moneymaker. Your is money not doing a checkbook. Your is doing work, okay? So I my moneymaker is not in, Balancing a checkbook. I'll be honest with you, I have never balanced a checkbook. I am 50 years old, and I am proud to say that I have never balanced a checkbook. And I've done pretty well financially, but I've never balanced a checkbook. Because I knew that was not my talent, I needed someone else to do it. And so, I don't know if that helps you or not, right? Okay, then what I have, okay, up here, is I have my accountant. And would I rely on my accountant for is to keep me out of prison. No, I'm just kidding. Well, think about it, because what you, I don't want to do is, if I, I remember when I used to do my tax return, I, I think there was times I might have thought, I kind of leaned in my favor, you know? I, I want my accountant to do my tax return because I, he's not gonna cheat. I give him the data, he does it. I feel like I'm protected in a way. And I the only way I can cheat is by giving him false data, which you shouldn't do because the bookkeeper prepared the false data. And so this is, right, so literally think about that. You must file a tax return in the United States of America. So part of what your accountant's job is, is to keep you out of prison, because, or out of the trouble with the IRS, right? I mean, and that's valid. If you don't do a tax return, that's where you could end up. So, I, I, so for me, the accountant's job is, it's really also revolving around tax. So there's a tax return which is an obligation between me and the United States government. And then there's also tax strategy, right? So I'm looking at tax strategy. And I don't get all my tax strategy from my accountant, because sometimes they have limited things. Sometimes I go outside and get different, I learn about tax strategies, and mostly from, I get them from people who make money, right? So you learn from people who make a lot of money what good tax strategy are. So you got to constantly be elevating that, okay? And so that's what this is. And then responding to things, okay. Then, right, I have this other thing, which what I call is protection. So this is, so for instance, my executive assistant has a responsibility around insurance. She has a responsibility, and and that's literally, I I think I have 42 different insurance policies or something, so uh, we keep a spreadsheet on that, whatever, okay. Um, Property tax. Okay, registrations. So in other words, licenses. There's this whole section of support that you need, particularly if you're a business owner. So for instance, I don't want my kids driving around in cars without insurance. I don't want to. I, 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 you know, there's an administrative function behind you, which is making sure that your 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 license is intact. You know, your your driver's license, your 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 dental license, your medical license, your insurances are up to date, your disability. I mean, all of that stuff has to be managed. And so I have one group of people who that's all they do is they make sure that all of this is under a central location and that there is protection for the business and you personally. Okay. Then, right. Then I have my money making team. So like, I'm on your money-making team, as much attention as you'll let me have, I can make you help you make money. But I'm not the one who does it for you, I'm on your team. So I have people who are on my team, in other words, um, and most of I mean, I, look, its I mean, they do little pieces, right? So there are people that make up that team. So I go to them and we talk about money-making things. and but they're not the same as my accountant. I never let my accountant think he's down here. I never let the protection people think they're here, right? I never let my bookkeeper think that they're here. I have a different team of people here, okay? And, but if you think about it, that's part of my financial team, and what they do is they make your taxes go up or whatever the situation might be, okay? So what you wanna think about is, if you, in lieu of having a team It's giving time to the function, okay? So again, do you have a good bookkeeping system or are you still doing bookkeeping? So I do not write checks. I do not enter them into ledgers. You should never do that stuff. You shouldn't balance checkbooks. You shouldn't do any of that stuff. You should just get everything back and you should have a check system on it, okay? You should not do your tax return under any circumstances whatsoever and your, ta- your accountant should not give you money making advice. They shouldn't make cracks about what you did or didn't do because that's not what you pay them to do. They should keep you out of jail by submitting your tax returns within the deadlines or your tax payments and then they should provide you with tax strategy if that's something they're capable of doing or they should execute the strategy of which you tell them you would like to execute. Then you have a protection team. okay. So this could be your assistant, your spouse, whoever does this. But basically, you got to say, look, if you let my insurance lap, I'm at risk. We can't do that, right? So somebody has to own that, and you don't want to be fully consumed with that all the time. Then you have a money-making team, and I don't need to talk to my money-making team necessarily about this. Now, then you could have somebody who is what they call a financial advisor, and then what you should have, and by the way, everyone who I've got one of these, you know how good this thing is, and every time I ask you to come spend more time with me on this, you would be insane not to do it, which is anybody who has a 10-year plan that I've created with you or worked with you, that's all, my, that's all me getting that done, that's my system, right? In other words, if you have, if you have a 10-year plan, you know that there's an enormously valuable structure over this whole thing. So, and here, this would be a person who's in charge of getting a return. But look, I, I, I'm not trying to say that you have to have every one of these as a team, but I'm trying to give you kind of an outline of where the accountant at tax time sits and what else you need. And if you just think you need an accountant, you're going to be literally entering crap into QuickBooks for yourself. You're literally never going to have an actual plan. You're going to be dysfunctional with your money-making team because you're not, you're not executing. You're going to have protection gaps all over the place. And you're going to be a part-time bookkeeper, for God's sakes, and then wonder why you can't make any money. And if I lay this out, literally, if I could just see your situation, if you don't do it right, it's an income suppressant. And remember, every, everyone is trying to reduce tax. Everyone is trying to reduce the amount of money they pay in tax. You, you can't suppress your income. You need to be strategic with tax. So and if you raise income, you raise tax. So, but you can't, and and by the way, an accountant who tells you to suppress your income is not a good advisor, okay? I mean, that's not the goal. You're not trying to make your income go away because the income dictates the value of your practice. So, I I mean, I hope this kind of helps you, but the confusion, and and you got to remember this, right? I wasn't born, I didn't like come out of the womb and say, Daddy, Daddy, I need to have a team of people to deal with my money. Right. I am a self-made person who has never gotten anything from anybody that, you know, no money per se. I, you know, it wasn't like I was a deprived child, but I wasn't I didn't grow up in a wealthy home or any of that kind of stuff. I didn't. Nobody taught me these things. I had to go figure it out myself. And so what you need to understand is there there was a time when the team was just me and I sucked at this. Like I will tell you this, and I believe every one of you out there who is in isolation around your money and your taxes, and you're sitting there trying to do your tax return, look, there is no way you're making a lot of money. There is no way it is working for you because what you're really doing is you're probably cheating. You don't see it that way. And what you got to do is you got to build a team and sometimes it's it's not the team you perceive It's even the the ability to categorically think in other words. So before I came in here You want to know what I was doing man? I was having a conversation with some of these people about something and um, Then last night I was having a conversation with this guy about something and then this conversation actually links to the 10-year plan. Last night I was here late, had all my company here and I was teaching them how to map out a 10-year plan, right? Because I, I don't think they know how to do a 10-year plan. And, and that's an introduction of a concept. You know, i in the next couple of days, I'll sit down with the people who did, do this. I got some things that, that aren't right and make sure it's in the right spots. And right, these are the kind of things we're looking at. And I'll have some conversation with uh these people and 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 you know i in my case right i also have a cfo and so when so we sometimes need my cfo gives this works with the bookkeeper stuff sends it to the accountant then we so, so again i'm not trying to look i don't want you to think well jay i don't have that many people well there, you start by kind of like thinking function wise okay and so we're going to help you through that and uh, look there is literally no way to lose in raising your financial education. In other words, you'll never, ever, ever not make money being smarter about this. You'll never not make money by dividing some of these functions up. And what I find is most low earners have no team and they don't even have categorical thinking. So they can't switch it up. I mean, you know, we also have, okay, here's our, daily transfer system so any of you that know that are doing the daily transfer system right that's a foundational piece that ties into all this so love this stuff so here's what i want to tell you if you are making progress continue to do the work continue to amp in continue to let me educate you right it compounds those of you that are kind of going wow that seems really complex let's just let's get this laid out right right And by the way, the other thing you got to remember about this is you got personal and business. These are two totally separate entities with totally separate actions going on. So let's jump to the personal side for a second. Charitable contributions. The current tax law, which they may change, says that you can deduct 50% of your AGI. So I literally probably this year will be at the 50% number. I've given away a lot of money. So I want to have a a huge charitable tax deduction. But today, if you had an AGI of a million dollars, you literally can deduct five, 500,000. I mean, that's crazy. So you can reduce it by your charitable contribution. So the, 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 the best way to reduce your taxes up to 50% is through charitable donations. So if you, let's say you have some money, it's already been paid tax on, and you, you if you do your giving for, oh, by the way, pay your property taxes this year, pay your personal property taxes this year. So if like, for instance, I just got all my property tax bills, they're due in January, I'm paying them in December. So pay your property taxes this year, okay? That's another one that you can do. Make your charitable contributions, even if you wanna prepay them, you would be smart to prepay them. There's some talk that they might knock down the, the charitable deduction, okay? Anyways, listen, have a fantastic day. Have some fun with this. I know you got something that you can take out of this, you know, mentally. And uh, congratulations on a great year. Congratulations if you had a bad year, but you invested a lot in making next year better. And just keep fighting the good fights. We'll see you soon. Take care. Ready to reduce your taxable income? Whether you choose to pay your January rent early, repay your property taxes, or invest in training your team. Know that Scheduling Institute has a multitude of resources, trainings, and events you can invest in today, which will not only reduce your tax liability come April 18th, but are also guaranteed to increase your practice growth in 2023. Give us a call today to learn more about our solutions and how your investment will save you a pretty penny come tax day. Call 770-518-7575 or visit schedulinginstitute.com.